0: Today we get to talk about the law, sort of that mysterious section to know what to do with in the Old Testament. Um, some are still coming in. Come on in, find a seat, get a handout. So we can get going and talk about that we should all have parapets on our roof, be careful how we cook goat. Um, <laughs> That's right, not in the mother's milk, and um, yes, separate dairy from meat, the, all kinds of fun things. Well, that's true, that's, that's true. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord God, our Father, as we come to um, the law and studying how we can study the law, help us to understand it. Help us to see how it reveals who you are, Lord, and um, to not be afraid of it, to not be confused by it, but to, to understand it how you would have us understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. When we think of the law, we're, we're thinking about the Old Testament books. Sometimes, and we'll talk about this, sometimes the law is referred to the first five books. But really, when we talk about the genre of the law, we're talking about the end of Exodus. All the way through toward the end of Deuteronomy. And what do we do with these laws? In in your notes, I have just some, some fun things. Some laws are strange. We just don't know what to do with them. Like Exodus 34, 26. The end of that, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Good news is I don't cook goats, so I've abided by that one. Leviticus 19, 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Sorry for those of you that have gardens. Nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. What do we do with that? It doesn't make sense. Leviticus 13.40. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald. He is clean. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't going to pick on anyone. (laughs) But you're clean, brother. (laughs) We don't know what to do with those. Some other laws we, we just don't follow. We know we're not supposed to follow. Um, Leviticus um, 19.32, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. Now, we might say maybe we should honor that, but how many times have, you, have we stood up whenever an older man comes into the room? It's not part of our practice, right? Now, there is a principle there that's very important. And we'll we'll talk about how we we understand that and take that. Deuteronomy fourteen eight And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Has anyone had pork? Or bacon? Anyone had bacon this morning? You are a lawbreaker. No, and so, so, we have to figure out, okay, why would we say that that doesn't apply to us? And this is very common in the world today. Well, you don't follow the law, you don't follow what the Bible says. How do, how can you say don't do this and do this? And so, we need somehow to understand why things are to be followed and why things aren't. Um, some laws we believe we should obey. Leviticus nineteen eighteen: You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We would all, uh, hopefully all, say that that is a, a law that we should follow. Um, Exodus 20, 13 and 14, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Yeah, let's, let's follow those. Um, and so we have different classifications of laws. Some laws we mistakenly claim. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and young of your flock. And some have used verses like that to really proclaim a health and wealth gospel. If I just live good enough, if I just obey enough, I'm going to have all the kids I want. I'm going to have all the increase I want. I'm going to have the paycheck I want. And and people have claimed this in this way, but that would be um, improper to do. That would be wrong to do. So how do we know what blessings are in effect? How do we know what to do with these four books of the Bible, which are the inspired Word of God, which are there for our edification, for our learning, but does that mean we need to follow every part of it and stop eating bacon, for instance? It's all kinds of other things that we'll talk about. And so today we want to explore in the next 20 minutes, okay, how do we read the law? Give you just a couple of basic principles And then um, give you four verses and say, try it. So general information about Old Testament law. We, We need to start by understanding some things about those four books. Context, context, context. You'll hear that just about every week. But we need to understand what is going on there. The first is we need to understand the historical context. Israel had just been delivered from where? Egypt. Egypt. And they're they're traveling, they get to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law. And so the purpose of, of the law is to create a covenant with his people that have just come out of bondage. A people that have lived in slavery for a number of years that need to be taught how to live in relationship with God, how to live in relationship with each other, and how to protect themselves from the influence of the world. All of those things have been sort of on hold for the last 200 or so years, And God now is coming to them at this time to teach them how to do that. To teach them what he requires of them. That he wants relationship with them. That he wants a covenant with them. So the second point there follows right out of the first. The Old Testament law was a gift from God to his people. It was a gift from God to his people so they would know how to live. Sort of like what we were talking about earlier. If you don't know what your boss expects of you, it's really hard to please him. And so God said, I, "I don't want to leave you in the dark." He gave them a gift, and they viewed it as a gift in the Old Testament, Psalm 119. What, what is the, the entire chapter about? The law, the law. His way and, and, it, and it doesn't say, "Oh, the law is boring. the law is horrible, the law is, is, is stagnating. No, it's talking about that the law is a gift of God, and praises God for giving it to us. Psalm 19. Um, The first part of that talks about the same thing. And so for them, they had a positive view of the law. It gave them a framework to know how to live. Now in the New Testament, we we start to see Paul and some others say the law is is like a nursemaid, that that, um, is something that we no longer live under, and and views it almost in an incomplete sense. And the reason for that is, through Jesus Christ, we have a different covenant. We have a different uh, <coughs> we have a different covenant, a different set of instructions that we live under. And under Jesus Christ is is it's it's fulfilling the law. It's better than what the law had in the Old Testament. But that doesn't mean the law in the Old Testament was a negative thing. Um, it wasn't this binding, horrid thing. It was a gift from God for His people. It gave objective standards that revealed their need for Christ, though. And so, understand the historical context. The law was a gift from God. The Old Testament law in the Bible, understanding in the Bible how the word was used, in the plural, laws referred to over 600 individual commands. So over 600 laws, if it was used as laws, it was referring to all 600 commands. In the singular, It was all the commands put together that were called the law. And so the law in singular referred to this this corpus of laws, these 600 laws that were viewed all together. At times, it was also viewed that the rabbi's interpretation of the laws were included in that. Um, As I mentioned, sometimes the law simply refers to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, but for purposes of genre, we're focusing just on the, the laws themselves, the commands. So how do we refer to those? How do we understand those? Fourth point is the, the Old Testament law is a covenant. It is a covenant or relational agreement God made with Israel on Mount Sinai after delivering them from bondage in Egypt. A covenant always had two parties, and it was a, a, a promise or a covenant, a way of interacting with each other, that was made between these two parties. And it's coming out of the the history of the time, of... of um, that a lord of of land would make a covenant with his vassals, and he'd say, I will give you protection, I will give you land, I will give you resources. In return, you will give me loyalty, and you will give me obedience. And so the idea of a covenant is not new to them. And this is a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And that's vital for understanding how we should read the law. Now, this this covenant, this set of instructions, was not comprehensive. You might say, "Well, 600, 600 laws—that about covers it." Should we even guess how many are, are in Washington D.C.? No, I won't. <laughs> these 600 laws were simply a framework. I let one author described it as a constitution versus a civil code. That these the the law for the for the nation of Israel gave them a constitution that had the spirit of the law, the intent of the law, but it did not cover every single case. Now, it covered a lot of cases. But the intention was that it was to provide a framework of examples by which to understand what God was requiring of you in any situation. Not that it was specifically laid out. It was to teach values, not to provide a handy legal handbook, So it was instructional rather than judicial. It's important to understand this covenant and the law because this is the basis for the whole Old Testament. The rest of the the Old Testament is based on this covenant between God and the nation of Israel. That makes sense? This is a little more historical, but we, we have to understand the history to be able to know how to read the law and how to interpret these things. The next point, the Old Testament law is not our Testament law. The Old Testament law is not our Testament law. The Mosaic law was a law, a covenant between God and who? Israel. Israel. It was not a covenant between God and the church. And, and we, we have to understand that the, in the New Testament, we have Jesus coming and fulfilling the law and establishing a new covenant between he and the church. And that's right there. If we can get that concept, then we begin to think through, okay, how do we understand the the law? It's not our covenant. It's not binding on us today. The individual exact rules. But the principles therein are, And the principles we'll see reiterated in the New Testament. I'm going to skip some of the verses that I think are in your notes. Um, Some parts are repeated and renewed in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Anyone know what those say? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's verse 1. And then verse 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise. He's referring back to the Ten Commandments, and he's reiterating one of the commandments. Now that command then now becomes part of the New Covenant. That becomes part of the New Testament. In that case, that is a specific command, which really in that case is hard to separate from the principle of the command. Um, However, as a whole, the covenantal authority of the Mosaic Law has ended. In Galatians 3, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We see more of that in Galatians as he's dealing with a people that were struggling with. Am I under the law? Am I bound to the law? But Christ has superseded it. But the, the key here is that does not mean it's not important. And we'll get to that as we talk, okay, how do we read the law then? The general rule, unless an Old Testament law is somehow restated or reinforced in the New Testament, it is no longer directly binding on God's people. It is no longer directly binding on God's people. In Exodus through Deuteronomy, you really have three categories of law. You have their civil law, that had to do with how they related within, to each other within a country. You had their ritual law, which is how they related to, to God through the sacrificial system. And you had the ethical law do not murder, do not commit adultery, those things that reflected our actions in response to God's character. So the next point you have is laws that are not reinforced are the Israelite civil laws and the Israelite ritual laws. These are not reinforced in the New Testament. They were specific to the covenant between Israel and God. So as you read them, it's helpful not to say, am I boiling a goat in in a mother's milk? But to say, okay, how does this relate to their role in ancient Israelite society? What was God trying to accomplish when he gave this rule? The ritual laws, which were the sacrificial system that we know Jesus has replaced. But still they're informative because we ask, okay, what does this tell us about God's holiness? What does this tell us about God's desire, about the nature of sin and our response to sin? So some laws are not reinforced and are not binding on us. The laws that are reinforced are binding on us. These are parts of the ethical portion of the law. Two great commands are reinforced. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the great commands out of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and and other places in the law. But in Matthew 22, Jesus reiterates them. He says, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus reiterates commands from the Old Testament and says, These are part of the ethical commands. These are part of what you are still to follow. The Ten Commandments are reiterated in in the New Testament in in a number of places. Uh, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reiterates a number of them. The the Sabbath discussions. So we have some commands that definitely transfer. But then the key, all of the Old Testament law, your next point there, all of the Old Testament law is still the Word of God for us, even though it is not still the command of God to us. Let me repeat that. All of the Old Testament law is still the word of God for us, even though it is, still, it is not still the command of God to us. It still has value of God's word. God still wants us to read it and study it and figure it out. So let me, let me use an example here. Turn to Deuteronomy 22.8. This is in a section of the law about how to, how to deal with each other, how to relate to each other. And we read, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. Now, for Fred, this does not mean two pits. And it does not mean two pets. You know, a parapet, parapet, never mind. A parapet was a a low wall. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, I know. That one... A parapet was a low wall that would be around the outside of your house because we know from their culture, they usually had stairs that led up to a flat roof and they would hang out on the roof, talk to people, lounge on the roof, especially in their culture, that was important. And so the law here is, okay, if you're building a house and you know people are hanging out on your roof, build a low wall around the outside so they don't fall off and die. You know, we have a lot of things we do at home so my boys don't fall off and die. And they still find ways around it. But, um, so, so as we look at a law like this, is this a, an ethical law or a civil law or a law about sacrifice? It's a civil law, okay? So we, we start by classifying it. It's a civil law of how they get along with each other. Now, does this mean we should all go out because my roof at home doesn't have a parapet? I, I would bet none of our roofs have a parapet. Does that mean we are in sin? No. For them, that was that was important. But for us, no. We, we, that specific instruction does not bind us any further. But does that mean we throw out this verse and say, all right, that's part of the civil law. I'm done. I can just actually just white out this whole section of my Bible. No. What does this tell us about God? What's the principle underlying Make your home safe for visitors. Okay, what theological principle is underlying that? Love your neighbor, Love your neighbor as yourself. Value of, value of life. Okay, now we're getting to timeless principles that do carry over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see this, we, we, it's revelatory about God because it shows us his value of life and that we are to value our relationships with one another and we carry a responsibility for our relationships with one another. Is that a principle that's reiterated in the New Testament? Absolutely. And so while the, this law itself doesn't mean that we have to go home and build w- low walls around our roof, it is informative and instructive and convicting to us to say, am I loving my neighbor? Am I keeping them safe? Am I doing things that are intentionally helping them? See the difference? or, or not, not difference, but do you see how we, how we view that? So he taught his people to love their neighbor, and he gave them a practical example in case law of how to do that. A number of authors, in talking about the law, say say that most of it is like case law, where you're building precedent from examples. And the examples may not apply today, but the principles apply today. I don't know if I put this quote in your notes, but while the law is not regulatory for us, as a binding covenant with God, it is still revelatory for us in a bonding relationship with God. Let me explain what I mean there. Regulatory means it's not binding as these are a set of rules I must follow. The goat and the parapet. Revelatory means God doesn't change and so it still shows me who God is and what his heart is. This comes back to the the doctrine of the unchangeability of God is why we can still read the law and it's still helpful. The law reveals the character of the lawgiver. His mind, personality, qualities, attitudes, priorities, and values. It reveals what God is like. And so then how do we read it? Practical process for reading the law, and this is what you're going to get into in your groups, but I'll run through it to fill in the blanks, and then you'll put it into practice. We cannot apply Old Testament law directly to our lives That line must go through the empty tomb of Jesus and what is revealed in the New Testament. Same principle of what we just did with that verse. We look for the principle, compare it to the New Testament, compare it to what what Jesus did on the cross, and look for the the principle there um, from the lawgiver. So the first step is observation. What do I see? And this is where you as you're observing the laws and you get this list of things you should and shouldn't do, it's helpful to break the laws down into the various types. We've already mentioned the ethical, the civil, and um, the sacrificial laws. But there's also a, a couple of other categories, two basic forms that all of them fall into. One is the general commands. The general commands, sometimes called the apodictic law. And these are the absolute law. You do this. Do not do this. These are usually the ethical portions of the law. Do not murder. It's really hard to get around that one. God does not want us to murder. That's an ethical law. That's part of um, a general command that still applies today. These are the most direct understanding of God's heart and holiness. They're very straightforward. These are a reliable guide with general principles that help us understand what God wants us to do. Now, general principles is important to understand because, like Leviticus 19.13, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Okay, pretty direct law, right? Now, some could get around that and hold their wages until right before dawn and then give them to them. Is that the point of the law? That would be holding to the letter of the law, but the law was intended to, to be a law that gave general principles don't withhold their pay. When they're done working, you pay them. And so while they don't cover every case, if you look at the spirit of the law, it's actually very comprehensive. Second form of law, we have the general commands, and then we have specific cases. The casuistic law. and This is case law. If A happens, then B happens. The majority of the the law in the Old Testament is like this. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, and this happens, then this should happen. And this happens, then this should happen. These are not specifically renewed in the New Covenant because they're specific to the civil laws of the time, but they do give us insight into who God is still. And finally, look at laws in their context. context. So that's observation. First step, what kind of laws are these? The interpretation. Now we're starting to get down to, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? Understand that the law is God's inspired word for you. And so look at the laws and try to look at them collectively. Look at the context, the section that they're in. But also look for how God relates with His people in a covenantal relationship. Some laws fit this, some laws don't. But how was, what was sin? How was sin reconciled? How important did God take sin? Or was sin just, you know, uh, it's okay. Say you're sorry and you're done. Or did he require more um, when someone sinned? The question that I think is the key question to ask in interpretation is, what do you think God's purpose was for these laws? Referring to a commentary might be helpful here. But what were the purposes for the laws? The food laws, for instance. In Leviticus 11.7, the one we mentioned, "...and the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you." Well, what was was the the issue with pigs? In the, the arid desert where they were, pigs were one of those things that carried the most disease. And so there was an aspect that God was protecting his people here. He was also keeping them away from food that was used as sacrifice in other religions. If you look at some of the food laws... We might think that doesn't make sense. That's not even unhealthy. But what if the neighboring country used that in the worship of an idol? God was protecting his people. And so understanding why God gave some of the laws begins to help us say, okay, that might not be that I can't eat that food, but should I avoid certain things that will bring me into the world? Different principle if we understand why. Uh, laws about sacrifices fit under that um, Sometimes there's unusual prohibitions, like the not boiling a young goat in his mother's milk. We've joked about that. But what's interesting is if you look at the history of the area, boiling a a young goat in its mother's milk was a practice that the fertility gods used. And so it was a practice designed to bring fertility to your home. Now, does it make sense that God would want to prohibit that? Right, because it was a pagan practice. And so he was saying, trust me for fertility. Trust me. Don't don't go down to all these pagan practices for that. We get the principles that we can apply. Um, Questions are, are good to ask, like what specific areas of life does God expect holiness and transformation within his people? I'm amazed at some of the details of the law. Like, why did God give a law about that? The lesson out of that is how deeply God wants to transform every part of our lives every part of our lives, not just certain areas. And so when we read some things that, well, that doesn't apply to me, look at what God was doing and how deeply he was transforming his people. What does the passage tell us about the character of God? And some other questions there um, that that you can read through, skipping to some that are are more pertinent for, for us. Understand the essence of the law and ask, is it repeated in the New Testament? If it is, then what does the New New Testament modify it? Does it add to it? The law of love your neighbor as yourself. Does the New Testament modify that law? It doesn't discount it, but does, does Jesus expand it? He defines who your neighbor is with the story of what? Good Samaritan. He's like, you guys are applying this all wrong here, let me tell you what it really means. And he expands it to be like, oh man, no, no, no. And, and so it's helpful when we look at laws, identify the principle, then go to the New Testament and say, is this, is this not only renewed, but is it expanded? You see that in the Sermon on the Mount with all of the, the Ten Commandments. It's not just about adultery, it's about what you think in your mind. It's not just about murder, it's what the hate that you have in your heart. And on and on, Jesus is expanding the principles under the new covenant Um, and finally application what can you learn from the illustrations of godly responses to life situations identify the principle in the old testament filter it through the new testament what timeless truths are present and then how should i apply those and we already did that with the, the passage with the parapets